If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Zechariah chapter 7 to chapter 8 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And, you know, as I've been reflecting upon preaching online rather than preaching to the church, um, things are going to be a little different as we open up God's word together. But some questions that have been coming up into my mind as I spend time reflecting on Zechariah chapter 7 and chapter 8 are these, is, is there is such thing as true and bad religion? You know, I don't know how many times I've heard uh, both from people in the church and, and, and people who are outside the church uh, that religion is bad, but is all religion bad? Is it all just about having um, a relationship with Jesus? And how do we know what is true religion if there is such a thing? And better yet, how can religion give us hope? How can true religion give us hope? And what is that true religion if, if there is one? So I've heard it said before that we want to move from being religious to having a relationship with Jesus. But the Bible talks about true religion. So how do I know what true religion is? And, and what is the big deal? And what is the benefit even to me in this time of, of worldwide pandemic? Uh, why is true religion so important? And why does God even talk about it within his word? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this time that we can even come uh, through technology to worship you. Father, I do pray that indeed you are glorified. And Lord, these are, this is a different, unique time. It is a, a time where nobody who is alive at this moment has ever been through. But God, I thank you that we have technology that enables us to do even a little bit uh, of this, Lord, to worship in this way. So Father God, as we open your word together, I know that I cannot do this on my own. So Father, by your spirit, will you use this sermon to glorify your name, to bring joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. So in this first point in, verses, um, in chapter 7, in verses 1 to 14, we see this thing, transformation from going through the motions. The people were struggling with something very hard. And we see in these first few verses, in verses 1 to 3, we have this time period. This is two years after Zechariah had the night visions. So, And we're quickly reminded that there's still a foreign king on the throne. But during this time, some people came from Bethel. They came from the north to the south to Jerusalem, which is about 20 kilometers away. And they wanted to ask this one question. Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? It's an interesting question because this, these fasts came out of uh, two things, two events that have happened uh, in Jerusalem history. One was when the walls were finally breached by the invasion force, but then the next fast happens because the temple was destroyed. Both times were, both of these were heart-wrenching times for the Jewish people. And they were using these times to fast. But now that they were being brought back from exile, the question is still there. Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? It's a legitimate question. Now that the temple is being built, rebuilt, and, and the walls are being rebuilt, should I continue to worship? So here's a simple question that is brought to these people. Why 
do I need to continue to fast? You know, this question is showing uh, that the people uh, have a different type of concern. And, and God will begin to expose that concern. He'll begin to expose the motives behind their act of worship and fasting. But have you ever asked what you thought would be a simple question with a simple answer? And then you end up getting like fire hose with far more detail than you expected. Well, that's kind of what happens in the next few verses, in verses 4 to 10. God comes and he gives an answer to his people. And in here we have God's reproof of his people. He actually begins to rebuke them because this question is showing the motives behind their heart, behind of what they're doing. So God comes and gives them um, a, an answer, a question. In verse 5 he says, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? Or when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves, he says. Was it for me that you fasted? You know, the Hebrew in this is even stronger. It's like you're saying this. Were you fasting for me? Even me? God is getting right to the hearts of his people. You know, Jesus talks about the same things in Luke 18, verses 9 to 14, that repentance and humility before God is far more important than fasting. See, the people of God were going through these religious motions, but were not addressing the heart of the issue. Their heart was not changed. They were worshiping God purely in traditionalism and, and worshiping him in this idea of, of, if I do this, I can somehow manipulate God to having favor on me and everything's gonna be good. But God doesn't want just some sort of meaningless action. He wants their hearts. And these people are trying to seek to worship God through just showing up and doing things. See, the delegation asks about fasting, but Zechariah reminds them that God is far more interested in a relationship and obedience. It's an in-your-face response. It's a telling question. They were fasting as an end in itself, as a religious exercise. At best, their fasting was driven by self-piety for all of the bad things that they have happened, but it was not a way for them to seek and to desire God more. See, the point is really clear here in these verses. As God summarizes in verses 8 to 10, God summarizes that the prophet said in the past, he values justice more than religious rituals like fasting. But we are talking about more than just simply ruling rightly in legal cases, but in a way that is only found in God and the righteousness of his ways. So what God is pointing out for us and for his people, God is not content with just our little ceremonial acts. In fact, God hates these things if they aren't coming after and with a true love for who he is and for other people. He wants his people to seek him. And people who are seeking him will desire God above all things, but that will also transform in their lives and how they treat other people. 
See, the worshipers were not seeking or serving God in their fasting. There was no difference whether they fasted or, or feasted because they were doing them both for themselves. Their celebration had nothing to do with true religion. Have you ever thought about how you treat others as an act of worship? As we come into the presence of God, that should spur us on to act in a way that points people to who our God is and how awesome he is and what he has done for us. See, God entered into a covenant relationship with his people, with us, a promise. God said to them, that he will be their God. The greatest gift that God could give us is himself, and that is shown in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born of the virgin, grew up, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again three days later so that we who repent and believe in this good news, and this truly good news, can have a right relationship with him, should not that relationship changed everything about us. Should it not push us to care for those around us? Should it not change our desires to desire God uh, for himself above all things? Something I've been hearing about is how people have been caring for one another by simply calling each other, and that warms my heart. As people, even in this worldwide pandemic, seek to be the church. But in verses 11 to 14, God reminds them of the fate of the people. See, in verse 11, God reminds them of the fate of the people that came before them. They had been told what kind of worship God wanted, and they ignored it. They didn't care for it. And because of their disobedience, God would simply not listen. The worship to God was ignored because of their disobedience. See, this isn't about religion or true religion or bad religion. This is about understanding and defining what true religion is and what God desires. If we come before God just simply relying upon how many times we go into a church and we listen to the pastor preach and how much money we give, we're missing the point our motives are wrong. God desires our hearts. And yes, the outcome of a heart that desires God is a desire to be with the people of God. It's a desire to be with the people of God. But my actions can't manipulate God. My actions come out of what God has done for me. See, this is a self-centered spirituality, a a pretty big thing in these days. I I don't know about many people... who, who, who think about uh, religion just being a good thing. Maybe they think about religion in terms of it'll improve their image or something. But this has little to do with God himself, this religion. If we are not first committed to God, you will never be committed to your neighbor. That is what happened to God's people. And that is what hap- that's what God urges his people to be, committed to to him. That is what true religion is. True religion is committed to him. And out of that comes, our, our affects us, our relationship with one another and with other people. It's an amazing thing. So I hear these words 
and I'm reminded quickly of what God truly desires. You know, I'm living in a world, we're living in a world where all of our idols are being torn apart or being torn down. And we gotta ask ourselves, they're being this time is very revealing for myself. Am I truly seeking God? Do I truly desire Him? So what is true religion then? What does real spirituality look like? Three things. It is a desire for God Himself, for His pleasure and His glory. The second thing is this. It is concerned with the sin that is in my life and and righteousness. And after that, consequences of continuing in that sin, but also understanding the blessings of being obedient to God. The third thing is this. True religion, true spirituality is that which draws from God's word, hearing and believing and doing according to God's word. A transformed heart is moved from going through the motions of worship to a heart that desires God himself. And yes, that affects everything about us. See, if true religion is about desiring God himself, it is that not what we need most now, especially us as the church. Everything has been torn away. All of our idols are being crushed. Our consumerism for worship style and atmosphere are being taken away. You're watching me through your TV screen. No, even our gathering has been taken away. How much more do we need to understand what true religion is now? A desire, a religion to desire God himself. We don't need less religion. We need more true religion. We need more truly religious people who are seeking after God. The second point in chapter 8 is this, transformed from curse to blessing. And God in chapter 7 reminds them of true religion and the law, and he rebukes his people for not following what true religion is. But in chapter 8, he brings the other side of this picture It is the positive incentive of the blessing of true faith and true religion. Yes, God calls us to obedience. And he calls us to say that there are consequences for not worshiping him in the right way. But there is also a blessing. Let us not forget the tension that happens here. And in verses 1 to 8, we see that there is a future blessing. I love verses 4 to 5, if you see them there. It says this, Thus... Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with his staff, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. What an amazing picture of what happens with the blessings of being obedient to God. See, in the book of Lamentations, there's a picture is very different. In Lamentations, the picture is painted right after the destruction of Jerusalem and exile. The streets are associated with death. But here, there's a reversal that happens with obedience. God begins to bless his people with his very presence that there is so much peace that people are allowed to get old and that the young are able to run around in the streets and play ball and whatever else may be. And these are things that are marvelous, as verse 6 says. 
talking about something that is beyond human strength and understanding, something that only God can do. What we see in verses four to five may be too good to be true to, to the people that are hearing this. It may be too good for us to, under, to understand, but not God, because his power is infinite. He has infinite power to save. What an amazing thing that we see here. What an amazing part of, of God's word as he reminds us of this blessings. We're reminded all the way from Deuteronomy that this is not new. The Bible talks about this all the time, that disobedience means curse, obedience means blessing. In Deuteronomy, where there is obedience, there will be blessing. Where there is disobedience, there will be judgments. You know, there was a survey done of a few years ago of American households asking if American faith is real. 81% of Americans claim to be religious. 95% believe in God. 71% believe in life after death. 84% believed in heaven. 67% believe that there's a hell. Do you see that there's something going on here that's a little wrong? But a large majority say they believed in the Ten Commandments. And almost every home had at least one Bible. This is amazing. Half of all Americans can be found in church on Sunday mornings. Only 8% say they have no religious affiliation. But you know what's interesting about this? Is that in these statistics, 12% who are categorized as highly spiritually committed are on their own level. There are more, first thing is this, they are more satisfied with their lot in life. They're more content. Their families, the second thing is this, their families are stronger with a divorce rate being far lower. They tend to, the third thing is this, they tend to be more tolerant to people from different races and religions. The fourth thing is that they are even more involved in charitable activities. There is blessing that comes with seeking true religion. What is being said here is that we, 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 we need more true religion, but understanding what that means. A relationship with Jesus comes out of our action. True religion points to that relationship. You know, someone might come to me and say, Pastor, why are you being so legalistic? And we need to define our terms. Legalism is adding to what God commands. And we're not adding to what God commands. We're saying what his word already is telling us. This is what it means to be truly religious. And this is the outcome. There is a blessing that comes along with that. Do we not want to have, uh, to be more satisfied? Do, do we not want to have stronger families, stronger marriages? Do we not want to have a, live in a world where we're more tolerant of one another? Not saying that we can't be disagree, but just more tolerant? Less racism? Don't we want to be more charitable in our activities? Even the world understands what God is already telling us, that these things come out of people who seek true religion, as God has defined it in his word. 
as we continue to work through this passage in verses 9 to 13, there's this uh, transformed heart uh, to their duty. And he says in verse 9, let your hands be strong, be courageous, so that the people will finish the temple. He calls them to fear not, but to continue to do the good work that God has placed in them. You know, we like to talk about obedience in general terms without coming to grips with what God requires. Or we like to talk about specific so long as we do not need to come to terms with doing them ourselves. See, not, long, not too long ago, I was talking to um, a young man who was making uh, poor decisions in his life. He had come to see uh, me because things had gotten so bad for him that he just had nowhere else to turn. He knew that his sin was hurting him. He was aware that he was wasting good years in disobedience. He needed fellowship and Bible study and and a regular job. All items that make for sound and growing Christian experience. But the point of this story is that he already knew these things because he had spoken of them several years before and several years before that. That man was not in doubt of what he should do. He knew what he should do. The problem was that he was not doing it. You say, but these things are so basic. Everybody knows that we should spend time with other Christians and read our Bibles and work at a job. And I ask, who said anything about obedience being exciting? Who said that the necessary elements of a sound and growing Christian experience are thrilling? I confess that there are often exciting moments in following God. Some things are amazing and thrilling, but the more necessary things are, more often simply hard work. It is by obedience in the small matters that we show ourselves to be faithful and are given stewards in greater matters. And that's what God calls his people to do, to be strong and to continue the work of building the temple. And in these last little bits here, we see this transformation from fasts into joyful occasions. And God summarizes way back what he does in verses 1 to 13. And he begins to transform them as a people as the fasts begin to transform. There's a transformation of a call to the people as well. Many people... And and strong nations shall come and seek the Lord, we see in verse 22, because of what God does amongst his people. In those days, it says in verse 23, in those days, 10 men from the nations. The nations desire to go to Jerusalem because they have heard that God is with them. What an amazing thing that as we seek to be truly religious, we begin to shine brighter for our God. What an amazing opportunity we find ourselves in in this time and age. So God comes and he addresses the motives behind the people's fasting and he reminds them again that what he desires is a a heart that desires him. What he wants is a heart that desires him. Not going through the motions of a religious walk. Being religious is not just going through the motions. True religion is being uh, is a heart that desires God and God 
himself. So what, you may ask? A transformed heart is moved from going through the motions of worship to a heart that desires God himself. And that does affect how we relate to not only one another, it affects how we come to worship our awesome God, but it also affects how we go out into this world. A transformed heart is moved from going through the motions of worship to a heart that desires God himself. See, true religion tells us three things. True religion tells us to be the church gathered. You know, in a time like this, we're realizing that everything has been stripped away. All we're left with is singing and reading in God's word. And God says in his word that that's what true religion is and what it means to gather as the church. But true religion also shows us to still be the church in community. You know, I've been, re- I've been reminded of Romans 1 verses, 1, or verses 11 to 12, and Paul says this, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual wisdom to strengthen you. That is, that we may mutually incur- be encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I I long for that. And this is not the same as drinking a nice glass of water in a a desert, let's say. This is not the same as, as seeing your spouse face to face. But it's like having FaceTime when you're away from your spouse. It's it's better than nothing, and I'm thankful for it, but I still long for it. We can still pick up the phone and call each other, maybe write a letter and mail it to one another. We can ask how we can be praying for one another and remind each other of who God is and the hope that we have. But this true religion also reminds us that we can be the people, that we can be the church and community as well. And even though we can't be uh, in, in close proximity with our neighbors, we can write them notes, we can pick up our phone, we can friend them on our social media, we can do all of these sorts of things to see how we can share the love of Christ. Because folks, as Ken was reminding us of, uh, there are many great opportunities. I was just even on the phone today about how they're going to walks with a neighbor and how the conversation seems to be always leading to the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, a transformed heart is moved from going through the motions of worship to a heart that desires God himself. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for the reminder in your word of the importance of what true religion is and how it affects every aspect of our lives. Lord, I pray that we would indeed, even though we can't gather as a church, Lord, I pray that we would be the church, that we understand that we're so called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Use us for your glory, Lord. Use this pandemic for your glory. May we continue to seek you during this time. And amen.